Welcome to what? The infinity. What? If. If. Infinity? Affinity. Infinity is the theme today. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and boy, a moment, you know, for instance, here's the tease. What does a moment mean in infinity? See? Brain. Yeah. Total brain destruction. <laughs> right off the bat. It's good. All right. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? No point in wasting any time before the brain destruction. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Matt Stanley, welcome back. I, I had said uh, you were on assignment, so it's up to you whether you uh, want to right. whether yeah, you can disclose any of that. Um, I said I said no matter what it was, it was surely dangerous. Uh, well, that's actually pretty pretty true. I got a little bit closer to um, uh, lava and uh, hung out Whoa. on top of a super volcano for a couple of weeks, um, which did not explode. So I made it home. So you were basically at your lair. You were at your office. <laughs> That's correct, yes. <laughs> um, preparing my spaceship for my uh, uh, private venture into space. Which would be- yes, 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 yes. Um, fantastic, fantastic. Um, Gabby, how are you? It's been a week. I, yeah, it's it's been a week. I am a bundle of anxiety because I have my qualifier today. Oh, um, today. <gasps> what? Yes. Oh. So at the end of this afternoon, I will hopefully knock on literally every piece of wooden furniture I have in this apartment, be a formal PhD candidate. I guess right now for the last two years, I've just been some sort of scrub. Um, but then wow. I get christened, okay, you're a candidate if I, if I pass this. Ah, that's very exciting. So is this a oral exam? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Rockefeller doesn't do it like the way a lot of other places do their quals, where I think in other universities, a qual is like you kind of get grilled on literally anything and everything for about an mm-hmm. hour until you kind of don't know anymore. And then they're like, OK, that was either enough or OK, you suck. Um, but for <laughs> us, it's just present the proposal of what you're going to do for the next, you know, however long you're here. And they, you know, try to break it apart, make sure your thinking is sound. So we shall see. Nice. Well, I, I don't know if this is encouraging or not, but uh, Werner Heisenberg failed his qualifying exams um, his first <laughs> time through. <laughs> oh, so okay. you, yeah, you'll good. certainly yeah, be better than him. Probably, probably because he stood up there and he said, here's what I'm going to study. You can't actually know anything. Everything's uncertain. So <laughs> it's, and they're probably like, yeah, maybe you should go right, rethink Werner, that. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, a PhD is technically a doctor of philosophy. So that was a very yeah. philosophical sort of proposal. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's right. What I like is this is this is when you know a scientist has reached their limit or maximum anxiety. He resorted to first pagan superstition, perhaps with touching the wood, and and then mentioned you know christening. So it's just you know the whole history oh, of I'm, science was recapitulated there. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm always at pagan superstition for us for for someone who's in the science field. I am shockingly superstitious, so I, I feel like that. That's yeah, totally fine. Well. You know, Ernest Rutherford yeah. had a, um, a horseshoe hanging over the entrance to his lab. Um, and somebody asked him one day, I said, well, isn't that just superstitious? And he says, well, if it works, then that's great. And if it doesn't work, then I've lost nothing. So I might as well keep it up. 
So that's, that's right. That's yeah, that's good. That's called hedging your bets. That's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. Oh, this is that's good to know, Gabby, because superstition. We we need to do more. Some of our most popular ifs have been in the realm of like pseudoscience or paranormal or whatever, and superstition falls right in there. And I grew up my my mother, who hasn't been mentioned in the show in a while. So <laughs> shout out to mom. Um, is or at least when I was growing up, was so superstitious. So yeah, I think we need to figure out what you know what's the scientific mechanism going on behind those those superstitions to make that happen. But but today we have a big subject. In fact, the biggest. I dare say the biggest um, by its very definition. And this could come about. There's an, any, a number of reasons how this idea came around. However, I'm just realizing, I'm looking behind me, and this is an audio-only show, so the viewers don't see this. But I recently bought a couple of new objet d'art uh, for my apartment. Um, and when I say objet d'art, I don't mean anything from the MoMA or you know whatever. It's from something called greatbigcanvas.com. And uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> they had a big sale. And uh, so, hey, I got some on great big canvas.com. I was browsing it and, and I got a giant, um, it's quite beautiful actually, canvas print of uh, the Earthrise photograph, which was, is actually, I believe, the first time that any human saw the Earth rising over another heavenly body. And that was, this is from Apollo 8, would that be? Um, yeah, where, where they took this photograph which everyone has seen. It became the symbol of the environmental movement. You're all familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a clock, just kind of a cool little, one of those flip clocks. I love those things. Oh, I thought you were pointing to the, just the regular uh, round-handed clock there. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. That's no, not this a very is interesting a... clock. Do I have a round? Oh, up there, yeah. yeah. You're right. No, no, <laughs> that's right. I also have a boring analog. But uh, yeah, one of these little flip clocks, right, where they, the numbers are little, like a train score mm-hmm. anyway and i was like oh i put that underneath the earthrise picture and so i have here in this one view and you can imagine it in your minds folks space and time so that i wanted to no, have the no, I, no. I can sit and watch <laughs> youtube and just casually glance at the true perspective of the universe um so uh here's the thing we were wondering those of you who may be familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide will be familiar with this term. But what if you could see the true perspective of yourself in the cosmos, what Douglas Adams called in his imagination, the total perspective vortex. Enter. Only Zephod Beeblebrox is known, the only known survivor of the uh, Total Perspective Vortex because he was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, was your assignment to the Total Perspective Vortex? Uh, it was time? not, and you can tell it was not because I'm, I came back. You came back. Yeah. Um, what... Matt, are you fam- you, are you familiar with this de- this uh, device? Uh, I am, but it, I have to confess, it has been a, a very long time. Um, yeah, 
So this is from the uh, the esteemed and classic uh, sci-fi series, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, and uh, Zephod Biebelbrox, who I believe at the time was the uh, multiple-headed president of the galaxy, president of the universe. That's right. Yeah. I can remember. Yeah. Um, In his uh, mind, all of those things at the very least. Yeah. All the same. Uh, <laughs> Uh, was sentenced to be placed within the total perspective vortex as punishment for some kind of offense that I, I cannot remember. Um, and the idea of the total perspective vortex is that it shows you your true significance and place in the universe. Um, so for most beings, um, such as, uh, you know, myself or uh, billionaires, um, they are showing <laughs> that they are, in fact, um, tiny little specks of nothingness uh, within vast reaches of space and time. And that realization, um, then drives them mad, um, and can no longer, uh, can no longer handle their, their place and things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, you, you inspire me to, I, I'm doing a little brush up here. So here's, here's what the, um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy wiki says about the total perspective vortex. Okay. And I wish, I wish I could do the voice of the, of the guide, you know, here's what the, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says about the total perspective vortex. Um, A machine built with the intention of showing beings the infinity of creation, which became used as a method of torture. It first appeared in the secondary phase of the Hitchhiker's Guide radio series, uh, when Zaphod Beeblebrox was subjected to the vortex and became the first person. The vortex is a device that was built as a practical application of the theory of atomic interactivity um, the idea is that if every atom in the universe is affected by every other atom in the universe, it is theoretically possible to extrapolate a model of the entire universe using any single piece of matter as a starting point. The vortex does this employing a piece of fairy cake as its base of extrapolation. Now, I don't... Do you, what is fairy cake? Uh, we call must it be a, some, uh, angel food cake here. <laughs> Ah, okay. Delicious. <laughs> yes. Uh, the machine was originally created by its inventor, Trin Tregula, as a way to get back at his wife. She was always <laughs> telling him to get a sense of proportion. So he showed her the vortex. Tregula was horrified to learn he had destroyed her mind, even as he proved his point that if life was going to live in such a vast universe, one thing it could not afford to have was a sense of perspective. <laughs> We may have learned something. Douglas Adams. Yeah, we may have learned something about Douglas Adams's marriage there. I don't know. That was autobiographical. (laughs) It was brilliant. Um, So, total perspective works. Yeah, and actually, then the the uh, another thing that was inspiring me just so recently was this idea that yes, they're billionaires. um, They uh, but but they were with people who were non billionaires. In fact, there was one person who rode with Jeff Bezos, whose father may have been a billionaire before he bought the ticket for his son, Oliver, to go on this mission with Jeff Bezos. Fortunately, they all survived, did well. The 18-year-old, he gave his son, bought his... Now, that is... I'm just saying, Matt, that's a cool dad. Um, <laughs> I suppose so. A dad was very... Dad, the most emotional person on the uh, of the families that were greeting each other, uh, I believe, was the father. <laughs> I'm sure, but, you know. Uh, he sent his son on a ballistic... <laughs> 
Um, that also comes down. Anyway, um, everybody did well. Everybody did well. But the amazing thing, here's what they're all excited about. And you can hear them screaming for joy on their these capsules that they just went up to Virgin Galactic and the uh, Blue Origin. Wally Funk, also, I was telling Gabby, if you don't know, if you're just thinking about Jeff Bezos' thing, it's like, oh, he's a billionaire and you have mixed feelings or negative feelings about him, fair enough. Um, but he did bring Wally Funk, one of the most extraordinary women uh, in American history and aviation history, um, an astronaut, which she was trained as an astronaut with a bunch of, uh, a number of other women, who, but never were allowed to fly. So she finally got to. So, but the the thing is, what's why would you want to go and into space and and have this view and why would you spend you know millions of dollars perhaps um for a few minutes of this thing it's about as close as we could get to the total perspective vortex actually yeah, um, perhaps so yeah are you guys are you familiar with something called the, what they're now calling the overview effect i was no. just about to bring up the overview effect yeah no uh, i don't know this tell me about it tell us about that yeah so It is essentially that when astronauts get up into space and see the totality of the world below them, essentially every human being that has ever lived, the entire cradle of humanity, they sort of come back down to Earth with a unique perspective and just sort of kind of just like realize we are quite literally on this tiny little floating orb all together with each other. It's a very big perspective shift. Yeah, and you can only imagine. I mean, being able to see now the the, the I was talking about this Earthlight picture, and look it up if you're not familiar. Just look up Earthlight. Um, an even more extreme example of the Earthlight picture would be the uh, one Carl Sagan kind of had commissioned, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the pale blue dot. Pale blue dot. So Matt, tell you're familiar with Sagan very much. What what's the pale blue dot? Image? Oh, so the pale blue blot dot. Let's see here. Let me get the the date right. Um, so the, we, they're the Voyager spacecraft, which are um, space probes we sent into deep space. And after they sort of got to the edge of the solar system, there wasn't much left for them to do. So um, Sagan proposed to, to NASA that they use the last bit of energy in Voyager 2 uh, to turn back and take a picture of the Earth from the edge of the solar system, essentially the, the most distant image uh, that right. uh, had ever been taken. <clears throat> what we would now call a selfie. Um, yeah, I guess that's about right. Just a really long, a, a selfie stick that's something like 10 billion miles long. <laughs> yeah. um, and the picture is remarkable because Earth is um, a single pixel. It's this yeah. little blue dot, um, what Sagan calls the pale blue dot. Um, and he has this beautiful essay about it um, that forms the core of a, a book with, a, with the same title, um, in which he points out that, that that little pixel swamped in blackness and nothingness uh, is where every human that has ever lived um, has been. Right? Uh, all the he says, you know, all of the dictators, all of the celebrities, all of the grand people and all of the ordinary people are all on that tiny little blue dot together. Um, and as, as is typical for Sagan, it was both supposed to make you feel small and cosmic uh, all at the same time. Um, this extraordinary moment of, of realization uh, that we as humans um, all share this, this delicate little point in space. Yeah, yeah. And one, one of my favorite lines from his essay there about the pale blue dot, which is, I almost think of it as a poem, partly because it's also been, people have said it to music on YouTube. It's quite nice. Um, but one, one of the lines was, you can see, 
although this is debatable, this is where it's a little bit of rhetoric, a little bit of poetic license, perhaps, but he says, you can see no one is coming to help us. You know? Yes. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> interesting. Um, in fact, you know, if you say, well, people have been to the moon, you know, so for instance, at that distance the pale, that the pale blue dot picture is taken, I'm sure the moon is unresolvable. In fact, it's basically contained within that pixel as well, um, which is quite extraordinary. If you think about all the effort, the, you know, the incredible achievement of going to the moon, it's like, eh, ultimately, not such a big deal. Not so far. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, but in, in these things, the thing is that, that uh, Richard Branson and his friends and pass paying passengers and uh, his crew and uh, Jeff Bezos and his folks uh, who just went up did get an incredible view. They went high enough to see the curvature of the Earth quite dramatically. Um, but they weren't even as, they weren't, uh, they weren't as high, they weren't nearly as high as, for instance, the space station. So the people on the space station have a bigger view. And we're probably more familiar with that. You can see, you know, zillions of pictures of what it looks like from the space station. And the Earth quite dramatically fills your view. Um, so not nothing. Definitely, that would change. I think just being outside the atmosphere would change your perspective dramatically, and I would love to do it. But going as far as the moon, where you really, and when you start to get a sense of how you can see the Earth as a, a ball, you know, mm -hmm. literally floating in space, um, that I think would, you're really approaching total perspective vortex there. Um, so, uh, what this, I'm going to go. Real, real fast, real far. And that is to infinity. That is the, in other words, what's the border? What, why is the total perspective vortex so, um, why is it the big, greatest torture device ever invented? <laughs> the idea was that it would make you feel very small. And yet, I'm, I'm not, I have to look into the details of it, but, uh, one of uh, Douglas Adams, another one of his most brilliant uh, quotes, and I believe this is how the whole book begins, is that space is huge, really huge. You may think it's a long way down the road to the chemists, but that's just peanuts compared to space. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, well done. Um, and yet, and yet, he's still talking about perhaps the universe, right? And here's a big question. So I think this is this is one of the fundamental questions that a lot of people don't understand is still a question. But if I just I'll, I'll leave it to you, Matt. Just help us understand: is space infinite or not? In other words, when I, is there an edge of any kind? Is there any help in this total perspective vortex? Any kind of edge <laughs> that I might finally be able to imagine? Um, so I say people have been, you know, grappling with this question for a long time. Um, the current, um, uh, orthodox cosmology is this, um, there's something called the cosmological principle, um, also called the Copernican principle, um, which is basically a statement that if you think there's something special about yourself, you're wrong. Um, and it turns out that this is a fairly straightforward thing to say. It's just a, you know, a reassurance of your mediocrity. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's to prevent something like, 
looking up in the night sky and saying, I see the stars rotating around me, so I must be the center of the universe. So it's a warning to say, don't do that, right? So think about what the other possibilities are before you assume you're the center of the universe. Um, And it turns out this is is a fairly helpful guide um, to, to things like avoiding geocentrism, um, and a sort of anthropocentrism in general. Um, but it turns out there's some important, uh, there's some deep consequences to it. So one of them is this. Um, if there was an edge to the universe and I was sitting on it, if I looked in one direction, I would see lots of stars. And if I looked in another direction, I would see nothing. Right? Uh-huh. Because right. I'm at the edge. Right. Um, and that then would be a violation of the cosmological principle. Um, because there would be something special about where I was. Um, so we then say that if that can't be, the, that can't be the case. So that means wherever I am in the universe, I need to be able to look around and see the same general distribution of stars and galaxies. Okay. But the only way this can be the case is if there is no edge, right? Because if there's an edge anywhere, then on that edge, the universe is going to look asymmetric. Interesting. Wow, this is interesting. So you're like a lot lot easier to draw than it is to describe, I'm afraid. Right, right. I'm not even in the total perspective vortex, and this is breaking my mind a little. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, what I find interesting is you're extrapolating from this Copernican principle to this Mm -hmm. notion, right? In other words, that's quite interesting. So what you're saying is um, Copernicus proposed that we are not the center of the solar system. Yeah. And therefore, if we're not the center of the solar system, we clearly can't be the center of the universe. So uh, if he was even thinking that far. But so, um, you know, he said the sun doesn't go around the earth. The earth goes around the sun. This was a view. Yeah. Okay. And then sort of said further principle here is that you should always assume that you, there's not something special is funny because it does have a judgment sense about it. But you're, there's nothing unique about your position. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so. Um, if that's true, in other words, if you could look up and count all the stars, which we are getting much better at, actually, we we have yeah, we do on a regular basis, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, telescopes and computers that can add up all this, what they see, um, in- including you know radio telescopes of their stars and galaxies that we can't see with our own eye. Um, they add them all up, and they can also look at the distribution of them. And if at any point they found that. Actually, all the way on this side of the sky, there's more stars than on that side. That would probably imply we are there's there we're not in the center. Mm-hmm. The center lies in the direction of where there are more stars. Right. Just like if you were looking at the galaxy. In fact, you can. You can go up if if you happen to live anywhere except New York <laughs> or 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 much, you know yeah. where you have a flashlight shining in your face twenty four hours. A day, um, a night. Uh, you look up if you can see the Milky Way. That's our galaxy, and we are on the edge of the. We are, in, in a sense, on the edge of that, on the outer edge of that galaxy. Therefore, you can look up and you can see there's the galaxy, and you can look elsewhere in the sky and say, ah, there's not the galaxy. Therefore, Earth rides around the edge. Right. What you're saying is weirdly enough, when we look up at um, the universe, we actually see. Even a relatively even distribution on the large scale, right. right? 
Yeah. So what the so there's there's sort of two ways to think about this, and it's important to understand uh, yeah. the difference. One is um, you actually look in the sky and you see that things are even around you, and that mm-hmm. seems mm-hmm. to be the case. Mm-hmm. And then there's the philosophical. So that's an empirical statement about the universe. And then there's the philosophical statement, the cosmological principle, which sort of demands that that would be the case anywhere in the universe. That's a huge um, leap. That's yeah. right. That is an enormous leap. But if you accept that, that principle that everyone in the universe should feel equally insignificant, then the universe uh, has to be infinite. Uh, spatially, because if yeah. that was not the case, then there would be someone somewhere who declare could declare that they were the most special person in the universe. Um, That's right, uh, and then they would send themselves into space. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and there's. Let, let me just cut to the chase, and then we can deal with the ramifications of it. Basically, what we we found is that. Because <clears throat> those of you who are n- understand, there's some complications about the fact that when we look into space, we are, because light travels only at a certain speed, we, what we actually see goes back in time. And there is a limit to what we call the observable universe. But the truth is that we have no idea whether the, the universe as a whole, which we can't see, uh, is infinite or not. And we may never be able to know. I don't know. Anyway. Well, of course, if, if you propose that something's infinite, how would you ever find out? That it, it, it would be a major challenge. So, um, Gabby, mm-hmm. here's here's I'm going to turn this around now. Turn, look into the other side of the telescope, as they say, uh, which is usually a bad thing. So, don't I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the small scale, there is also there's, there was if we look towards smaller things, which you do all the time how do you how does that affect your sense in a way there's a total perspective vortex going down there now the question is does it go as far as the universe i i don't mac can help us with that later but what do you think when you when you began to learn about this perspective of the, the small the world of the small how did it affect you Well, it's funny. I think it actually works very similar to the way that you would think of infinity working, that Mm. it does kind of really change your perspective to some extent, because the more that you learn about biology, about cells, you know, I I guess there's a saying or it's what is it? Um, Chemistry is applied physics. Biology is applied chemistry. (laughs) Um, And essentially you get to a certain point in biology where it is just chemistry. And then you get to a certain Mm. point in the biochemistry where it is just physics. And it is amazing that we work at all is my sort of continued affirmation that sometimes I'm like, oh, I have a stomach ache. Why is my body doing this? I'm like, okay, well, actually, it's really amazing that I'm not just still goo in some primordial soup, um, that I am a mass of coordinating, communicating cells that are somehow managing to digest food in my stomach, break it down into little pieces, run it through my intestines to absorb a bunch of different nutrients, transport all those nutrients, you know, five feet, uh, you know, around my body. <laughs> yeah. Five feet. It doesn't sound that impressive. Um, but, you know, it works for someone. I'm right there with you. I'm right there. And then, you know, the, you know, all of these processes are happening every hour of the day, every second of the day, every microsecond of the day. And I'm not even thinking about them. 
I have my mind on my qualifying exam. Everything else is on autopilot, which is incredible. <laughs> There's part of my brain I'm not even aware of that's just still running this. Right. Um, so I think it There's was, one part of your brain that's like, you know, the automatic part, whatever, which is just like, we got this. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of funny. Maybe this is like a, a personal perspective. Um, but while I do think the total perspective vortex would break me, I do generally subscribe to a certain type of Douglas Adams style nihilism where, you know, I the world is big and we're here for a little bit. So sometimes lighten up. So I, I feel like for me, yeah. knowing all of the stuff about, you know, it's incredible that I work at all. The human body is literally just a wet meat sack. I could die at any time. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like it, you kind of just, it kind of balances out. Yeah. But I'm cu- very curious spatially how you, because I, I, yeah, as I've mentioned before, I think on this show, Biology, as soon as I encountered that in um, school, uh, I was I I was disgusted. <laughs> and it was wet, it was smelly, but mostly when we had to actually start doing experiments and things like that. Now I have other friends who, you know, were like, oh, this is awesome. Let's yes, let's dissect this frog. Fantastic. I was just like, I was like, I'm gonna barf. So my my, <laughs> my eye uh, went towards what I call the dry science. And the very distant science of astronomy. So to the big. Um, but what I lost in that was uh, an ability. So I feel like I, it, the mind still bends when we get we start to imagine what is infinity, how big is the universe. But if you spend your whole life reading science fiction and physics and stuff, you kind of develop a sense of it. But the sense of the small still completely. Uh, I don't. I don't appreciate that. So do you, do you do you feel being being only five four? Uh, you know, I feel like I'm pretty much down to atomic size as it is. So, um, but as you, Gabby, as you learn things, you actually understand, for instance, the proportion of things like how small a cell is versus us mm-hmm. things like that. As you began to understand that perspective, did it affect you? in the way that imagining these big things did? Or, you know, what, what is its effect on you? In other words, what if we had a total perspective vortex that was a little bit more, that was a microscope instead of a telescope? I think it probably works at least a little similarly. It doesn't necessarily make you feel small per se, but it does do something to make you feel insignificant, which I suppose is sort of the root of the you're nothing special um, Interesting. principle. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but it, it it definitely makes you realize, you know, biologically we might be like, oh, we're special because we are life. You know, that's that's something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as even the more that you learn about other species and that how weird life is and the sort of arbitrary lines we draw around being alive. I say that as a virologist, which is very much a field controversial about alive, not alive. Right, um, right, right. You realize it's just like eh, on this planet, it's like, you know, kind of a a weirdly dime a dozen thing. There's a lot of things that we ascribe to us only that are not. So for example, parrots give each other names. Um, we think we are the only things that have names. Wait, parrots give um, each other names? Yeah, they do. They do. There are specific chirps that they'll use for their children and then they keep those with them throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's species specific, uh, but I do yeah. know it is like a, a vocal learner parrot thing. Um, but just stuff like that, that you'll find repeated a shocking amount of times throughout, you know, everything that lives on this planet. So 
like I said, Douglas Adams kind of nihilism. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah I love the idea of a, bi- a biological Copernican principle. Right? Don't think there's anything special about your organism. Right? Yeah. Everybody else has names. Everybody else has communications. Everybody else has weird fetishes. It's normal. Right? Everybody's got <laughs> something. Well, in fact, I feel like what this boils down to is actually what the perspective vortex deals with is uh, an attack on the idea of the self yeah. or a single consciousness. Like, it, I'm so, like, I, I, this was completely counterintuitive to me, and I just learned so much about Gabby just from that, what you were describing about, like, by looking down at the world of the small, you realized that there's all these other things, and, like, in some sense, your perspective is, like, they are things unto themselves. So there's these, mm-hmm. a cell is a thing unto itself. It's part of you. It doesn't care about you. And in fact, you are made up of all these things. So ultimately, the whole thing of whatever you is, is a mirage. It could be a mirage, right? Well, yeah. And so, I think it's really important to consider like how we as people define ourselves. It's usually mm, based mm. or almost exclusively based in some way by our interactions with others. And you might not mm-hmm. necessarily think that. But for example, if you're like, well, who are you? And you're like, I'm a man. Well, okay, we live in a gendered society. So you call yourself that because that is the label that your society has helped to build for you. Well, then you say, okay, maybe, you know, I've got kids, so I'm a parent. It's like, okay, you are still defining yourself in relation to another human being. What do you do? I'm a scientist. Okay, well, cool. You are defining yourself into a relationship of a field made up by, ta-da, people. Um, So I think, you know, it's one of these things that, when you sort of erode away that the universe, the rest of the universe doesn't have people. The rest of the universe doesn't know the people that you define yourself by. Um, it, it's a, it's a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I think actually this sort of question of terror is an important one when you're thinking about scale mm. and it and speaks to the, the original torture purpose of the total perspective vortex um, is that at least on the, the big scale, the astronomical scale, um, you know, Kant proposes this, the, the philosopher proposes the idea of the sublime, um, which is, you know, an important aesthetic concept today, but specifically says that the sublime is when you're overawed by something, right? You realize that something is vastly bigger than you. And I think also he would accept that maybe the, the smaller version of you as well. Um, uh, but not only are you made to feel insignificant, but also a sense of um, order and sort of wholeness of the universe too, right? It's not that the universe is huge and chaotic. Um, it's that it's awesome in the original sense of awe, right? So you feel small, but it's an extraordinary feeling because you suddenly realize the bigger system that you're a part of, right? Um, so, but it's the, the, I think the interesting thing about the sublime is that it rides that razor's edge between terror and I don't know, happiness isn't the right word, Mm -hmm. um, but that feeling of being extraordinary as well. So it's, it's, it's the, it's the mixture of the insignificance and the extraordinary that creates the experience of the sublime. Um, but it's easy to tip onto one edge of that or the other um, and either get lost in madness or I don't know, grandioseness on the other side. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, being a fan of movies as I am, especially science fiction, of course, there's movies do this very well. I think when, when, when they do it well um, and especially the masters of cinema and for instance, in close encounters, one of my favorite 
to me, the best examples of this kind of moment of uh, is uh, there's a scene where the little kid, the little boy, um, is uh, looking out of the window of his house, and the uh, clouds are forming, and they basically the aliens are coming to get him. But it's just this incredibly scary thing. And the boy is looking up with tremendous wonder, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like the combination of our perspective and the music is very scary and all this kind of stuff, um, you know, is interesting. And fun fact about that, when Spielberg was filming that to get the boy to give him the look, he tried different techniques for getting the boy to have the right expression on his face that he really wanted. Um, I think he eventually just showed, uh, you know, Spielberg is behind the camera and the boy's looking up and whatever. And Spielberg, I think, held up some toys or something. And so the boy actually said, he looked, that he, he was, Spielberg was just trying to get the boy to have this look on his face. And then the boy went, toys, which he left in the movie. <laughs> this is kind of a fun oh, cool thing. But it also says a lot, you know, like, uh, if you f don't fear it at all, it's toys, you know. Mm -hmm. um, if you fear it, it's somebody else's toys <laughs> coming to get yeah. you. And, and then, of course, the monolith, this sort of scary black, rectangle that is in 2001 yeah that's right 2001 is one long yeah. moment of sublimity um it's trying to ride exactly that the, the whole time yeah yeah i i will one of my i guess comments on this is i do feel like i don't know if you guys would have ever experienced this but sometimes realizing across the scale of time that the human experience is not unique has sort of evoked mm. that feeling in me mm -hmm. um so Personally, I'm always a fan of, you know, little bits of history. Like um, there's, I think, Viking pottery with like a cat's paw print in it. And you had to realize, mm. oh, they had to fire that pottery to maintain the the cat's little paw print that walked over, um, you know, their, their whatever they were making. Actually, there's clay tablets uh, really just they're, they're clay complaint tablets for this merchant, Anasir, who sold crappy copper. Um, and he was like a grifter. They're complaining. Yeah, his house was full of them. He fired them to save the hate mail that got sent to him. And this is like in Mesopotamia. Um, That's awesome. And, and just like personally, the first time I ever traveled outside the US, I went to Portugal, I went to Lisbon. Yeah. And we're, the city is sort of like several like hills on it. One hill has a castle and then there's sort of a dip and then there's sort of another hilly area. And we went out onto this overlook and you know, when you walk through cities, you can't really get a scale of the city. You walk mm -hmm. through New York, you can't see all of New York. Yep. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I was on this lookout looking over all of a big old city, much older than any city I'd ever been in in my life. And it was sublime. It was literally that, you know, you realize in one moment the world is so much bigger than you are, that the lives of everyone who has ever lived in this place is so much bigger than you are. Yeah. And it's cool. It's terrifying, but it's cool. The total Portugal vortex. Yeah. <laughs> I like Portuguese highly recommend vortex. anyone experience the total Portuguese yeah. vortex. That is interesting. Uh, you can go up, of course, in the um, Empire State Building in New York, too, and kind of get a totally new perspective, which is very mm -hmm. different. It's interesting you mentioned that, Gabby, because it's very different than going up in an airplane. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, you can get an even higher view from an yeah. airplane, but there's yeah. something weird about being still on the ground, but not on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you're like a part of it. Because even when you're yeah. in the Empire State Building, you are going to see a thing. Like, you know yeah. you are going to see a thing. For yeah. this to just take me out of the blue. I didn't know True. we were on it yes. relative to the rest of the city. So that's why it really sucked me in the gut. It oh, that's beautiful. very unexpected. That's really cool, yeah. Um, lastly, I just want to, 
and this is a huge topic unto itself. And, you know, there's a whole lot of technical stuff involved in it that we could do. I, I, when I would like to do maybe in another show. But Matt, I, you know, the ultimate perspective, as far as we understand it now from physicists, appears to be that the true essence of things is fields. Is that true? That like when you really get down to it, um, it's a good way to start a fight among a party. Okay, <laughs> but, but yes, that is that is one of the ways of thinking about it. Yeah. That it, you know, we used to, like we had thought of you know, well, um, you know, you can think about going continuing down, obviously much smaller than cells, as you said, Gabby. Eventually, through biology, you get to chemistry, you get to physics, and so we get to atoms, we get to electrons, and, and you know, quarks inside the nucleus, etc. Um, but kind of the isn't it a big, big part of physics theory is that um, these things are actually just fluctuations in a field, which is which takes you right back to the infinite. Um, mm -hmm. Right, it's a bizarre, yeah. bizarre thing. So, um, what what does that mean? You know, when, when people come to just in the most most basic terms, what is? I'm still grappling with. It. I'm still learning. When I finished physics, I didn't quite get to the field stuff. No. Um, um, what is this? Yeah. Well, it's there is not an an easy answer to that. Um, but as you say, it's uh, you can think of it as. Um, um, uh, energy without matter, just little packets of energy interacting with other packets of energy. Um, kind of actually what Gabby was saying that we, we define ourselves as uh, in terms of interactions uh, with each other. Um, so field theory suggests that the, the primary thing about stuff is that it interacts with other stuff. Um, and the essence of that stuff is not important, but rather it's just how things interact with each other. So everything just comes down to, to interactions and, and modes of interactions with everything else. Right. Um, but that each, each thing, like what we think of as like gravity would be created by the gravitational field. Electrons would be created by the electron field. Is that right? <laughs> right. So the, there's these zillions of all these different fields that ultimately add up to the bulk is that what they call it? Or I might be to the experience wrong. of the world as we understand it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unknowable. And so what do you think, Matt? What do you think it all is? What is it? What so, do I think what? So outside of everything is something else. This is where I always wind up. And then, <laughs> and then of course, this is the true total perspective vortex, right? Wasn't there, I believe there was a, was it a, was he a saint or there was some ancient philosopher who who said something like, well, if outside the earth is that, then out, what's outside that? What's outside that? What's outside that? What's outside that? Eventually you get to the ultimate. Yeah. I mean, yes, lots of people did that. <laughs> right, 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 right. A problem. So, um, and, and sometimes that's the reductio ad absurdum of that, of that line of inquiry is sometimes used to justify the impossibility of an infinite universe. Um, as we say that because you can keep asking that question that's a good reason to 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 abandon any sense of meaningfulness to the term infinite um uh, but now with uh, mathematics you can grapple with these questions in a in a much more concrete way even if you can't really grasp the numbers yeah um so people are more comfortable talking about it today what does so here's here's what it boils down to is this is what i i struggle with and this is where this is where i would 
lose it in the total perspective vortex. And I, so I kind of eventually say, well, eh, I don't know. Um, I think also this is where humor comes from. This is why scientists uh, can be very funny people because you reach these <laughs> points where it's just like, oh, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, last stop before insanity. Um, whatever it is, you're in it right now. Like you're actually in it. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. you might think, oh, it's just, oh, it's just a question for another day. It's a philosopher's thing. No, no, no. Right now, you're sitting in the thing that's inside the thing that's inside. The, you're sitting in inside. You're you're sitting at one of the levels of a Russian nesting doll um, that goes way down. And okay, so we can imagine the down part. That's kind of bizarre, but also up, 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 up. Are we in multiple universes? What are the multiple universes in, etc. So the, my last question for each of you is, how far do you go on that? And what do you think or feel when you reach that edge? When we get to what? I missed the... What's the outer Russian nesting doll? The outer... Oh. Um, well, I don't know. I guess for, for me, the I mean, temporally, that's the Big Bang. Um, that's the, uh -huh. the, the wrapper past which we don't seem to be able to peer. Um, okay. Uh, and I would be interested to know what that might uh, look like at some point. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's a little bit of uh, a, a, a point of stability in uh, uh, an otherwise overwhelming universe. Yeah. Yeah. Gabby, how about you? I think for me, space breaks me so quick. So I'd sort of max <laughs> out and be like, huh. Like, if I saw the totality of the universe, there would be a point at which it just, like, I stop processing it. This, like, little fatty meat factory up here is not going to be <laughs> able to absorb all that information. So there's just going to be sort of a Homer Simpson, like, huh, right at the end. Of the <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> exactly. And then there's nothing to do but have donuts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm um, glad we got a Simpson I mean, reference in there. Yeah, yeah that was fantastic. That was fantastic. Didn't they um, open an episode with that once? The with I really a, think there was one of like the couch openings. Because yeah. I, I think I remember this. It's like they, they go into like subatomic or whatever, but then it becomes like soup and goes through the full like evolution or whatever. And then just winds up with Homer on the couch. <laughs> I, I'm not <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That, would, that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Of course, the great, oh, the great movie, uh, The Powers of Ten, another fine example of this uh, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which, by the way, was then recreated in a sense in the beginning of the movie Contact. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you. This was, again, you know, like last week, I think we had the kind of the summer, easy breezy science fiction book club. And today we had, you know, another thing that could happen to you while sitting at the beach, pondering infinity, losing your mind, and eventually needing uh, donuts and uh, perhaps, you know, some beverages. Yeah, um, good. Thank you for, for, for taking us there and bringing us back safely. Um, there's no mask that can protect you, by the way, from the total perspective vortex, but get your vaccines as far as those, as far as our current day small problems go. Gabby, I think you would agree. Continue. Mm -hmm. Get your favorite vaccine. Get the jab. Not. Get the jab. The yeah, Fauci no ouchie. Yeah. <laughs> Very, that's, what he, that's what somebody called it. It's beautiful. Um, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug now, you know, between uh, now no, and... Nothing, ex nothing exciting coming up for the rest of the summer. Hey, that's good. See, yep. that seems like a positive thing. Gabby, 
Good luck today. What time is your... Uh... 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Right. That's a good time. Have a healthy lunch. Um, make sure yeah. your blood sugar's up. Yeah, yeah. The, the adrenaline, I think, might keep me working. It's funny. I've, I've practiced this before. It's been vetted by postdocs in the lab. They liked it. It's just that every time you have to do it, you're like, oh, boy. So... Yep, there's, it, that's, okay. it, it is part of the ritual. I'm afraid there's there's no escape, um, but you'll you'll be great. It'll be fun. Yeah, at the end I'll have the piece of fairy cake. So, Ultimately, yeah. that's all we are. We are a piece of fairy cake, indeed. What is this ritual, Matt? Uh, well, it is actually precisely what we've been doing this entire episode. Uh, which yes. Is when we uh, look out into the vast reaches of space and down into the. Uh, tiny elements of life itself. Um, we are overwhelmed by the wonder and horror simultaneously uh, and are forced to shout What, what the is Good luck, Abby.